2 Timothy. Uh, we're going to read first from 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1 says this, Now the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, speaks expressly, meaning clearly, concisely, easy to be understood when the individual is, is intreatable. The Holy Spirit speaks. How does he speak? He takes the things of Christ in John 16, 13, and 14. He takes the word, the very word that Christ is. He takes that written word and makes it a living force in us when we're submitted to him, when we don't forget our place, when we function in our proper place. And so now in 1 Timothy 4, 1, now, if he was speaking then, when God gave this, when Christ gave this, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to the Apostle Paul to record for himself and for us his church, if it was true then, what is it now? So now the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, speaks expressly, clearly, concisely, that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. Many times over the decades, we've had the privilege to share the truth about this in many different places and many different times with many different people. The faith here is, is who Christ is in his person and all the work that he has already accomplished. That is the faith. And that's why it says in Ephesians 6 and verse 16, we need to take up the shield of faith all those preachings and teachings that have been given to us in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they are effectual and only effectual when we are completely submitted to them in an absolute dependence and obedience. Because some are going to depart from the faith. And when they do, they can only give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy. And that can happen. Some will depart from the faith. Can a Christian do that? Can a believer do that? Can any of us do that in the flesh? Of course, we can. Now this is in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 1. Now many times we've taught these things and they bear constant repetition because none of us know anything like we ought to. Meaning the word that was given maybe 10 years ago or even 10 minutes ago. And we may think we have come to the end of it in our understanding. Truthfully, we never do. We could never come to the end of one single verse in the Bible because it is the supernatural word of God that has to do with his will. You never come to the end of it. But first, the epistle to First Timothy, First Timothy is teaching how to function in order. There's an order. How to function in it. And that order is effectual. In a local assembly, as each individual takes their proper place. They take their proper place. That's why it says in Ephesians 4 and verse 11, he gave some apostles, of which, of course, there are no more, and some prophets in the sense of fulfilling up, filling up the rest of the whole scriptures in terms of the New Testament and 
all those epistles that bring out the reality of our heavenly position in Christ, brings it out very, very, very clearly there. These truths of how to function in order. Then in 2 Timothy, the epistle to 2 Timothy is teaching how to function in the midst of disorder. Disorder. Again, and this is what it's teaching us because this is where we are in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 1. Well, even before we get there, let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. You therefore, my son. You see, that's a spiritual dad speaking to those that are spiritual sons, those that have been nurtured and raised up and been fed the word of God through a spiritual father in the sense of 1 John 2 and verse 14. He has given us spiritual fathers. And these spiritual fathers in Hebrews 13, 17 are to be our guides. They guide us into Christ. And we are to submit to them. We submit to them. We yield ourselves and submit to them in, in Christ so that they can have, so, so that Christ through them can have his way his word, his will with us. So when it says this in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 1, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now here it is again. And the things that you have heard of me, Pastor teaches, these things that you have heard of me, that you didn't know before, that you were, you and I, of course, we all have been given that grace, graciously, these things. In 1 John 2, 12 to 14, we are babes. We're given them graciously. Then we are young men and women, still young, very young men and women. And, and again, and then we have the spiritual fathers. And then the spiritual fathers are those that, that say the things that you have heard of me among many witnesses. The same commit you to faithful men who will be able also to teach others. Now you therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that enters into wars, and this is spiritual warfare here, in Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 6. This is what this is bringing out clearly in the scriptures and very precisely in the scriptures, that no man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life. God gives us a vocation. He gives us work for what purpose? For what purpose? Of course it's to supply for your family, but what else is it for? What else is it for? Is it just for that? He does not entangle himself with the affairs of this life because that's not how we were taught how to function in a local assembly. We were never taught that way. That's how the world is. They think of their family and that's it, period. That's what they do. That's what the world does. Are we to function that way? No man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life. What? That he may please him who's chosen him to be a soldier. To be a soldier. What does it mean to be a soldier for us this morning? It means that we're involved in a spiritual warfare. 
we have a particular place. Boy, I tell you, we have a particular place in a particular local assembly. We have a particular place in a particular local assembly where we are taught the very precise preaching and teaching of the Word of God where we wouldn't get it anywhere else. Because God does the choosing where we're located. He does the choosing. He doesn't give us secondary plans. Or he, he doesn't go ahead and while we are in the place where we are, to think ahead with plans about somewhere else. Because he's a soldier. He's a soldier. He's under command. He's not in command of himself. Young people are not in command of themselves. They need the word of God being taught by spiritual fathers, by spiritual men. That's why God has given uh, some the privilege and he's given me the privilege to teach the word of God to a lot of different men. And those men, those men, they can be young, they can be babes. And they can be young men or they can even be spiritual dads that are taught. And so what we see here is he's preparing us for warfare. In the midst of disorder. In the midst of a disorder. God has us go to specific places. For instance, there's specific times that God would, will have me go to a specific place to preach and teach the word of God to those that are younger. To those that are younger. To those that even now hear and receive the word. Even now. Not only here, but in other areas. Second Timothy 3 verse 1 says this, This know also. Now the also here is going back to chapter 2. And back to chapter 1. This know also. We're also to know all of this right here. What are we to know here? What are we to know here? What prepares us to know that we're in the last days? What prepares us for that? What are we to know? Well, study. This is 2.15 of 2 Timothy. Study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Oh, boy. Rightly dividing it, understanding the word of God in its full orb. And by this you will shun and do away with profane and vain babblings. For they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as does a canker, it's like a cancer, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. And we see these things brought out clearly in the scriptures. You'll see this again. Paul's referring back here to 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter, specifically verse 7, but in, the, in that chapter. Who concerning the truth have erred. Can a Christian that's been taught truth 
again, depart from that and err experientially, absolutely. Saying that the resurrection is past already, and what do they do? They overthrow the faith of some. I talked to a woman yesterday. It was a woman that we had mentioned and, and dealt with in her life and warned her about some of the choices that she was making. And I'm talking eight, nine years ago, eight years ago, specifically eight years ago. I hadn't heard from this woman in quite a while. And in the midst of all her troubles and the things that she was going through, she was given, I, by the grace of God, she was given the counsel of God not to go to this particular place, not to use a granddaughter in place of Christ in obeying him, not to do that. That woman back then, eight years ago, would reveal all her problems and all the things that she was going through. She called yesterday. She called yesterday, and she's still in the exact same place and rehearsing all those same things again, constantly re rehearsing them. And I, I was in love. I, I, I ministered to her in love, but I was very firm with her in telling her, do you remember? Don't you remember when I warned you? When you were warned by God not to go here and what it would be, not to go and listen to this one and what it would be, not to use anything, any person or anyone to replace God in your life. Not to put another person ahead of God in your life. And I, and I was very honest and open with her. She's in the same place. Why? Because concerning the truth, she erred. She erred. But here's verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure. Certain unmovable. <laughs> when we're obedient to known truth, that's when we are unmovable in our experience. I don't have to have a thrill. My thrill is from the word of God. I don't have to go somewhere to get a thrill, to feel good about something. My thrill is the word of God, period. Period. I don't have to go somewhere. I do not have to go somewhere to get edified and feel good emotionally and built up. I have the word. And you know what? I have it right here. And we have it right here. Beautifully. And completely by the grace of Almighty God, by his grace and truth. But nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure. Why? Because that foundation in Matthew 16 and 18 is Jesus Christ himself. And if the foundations can be moved with lies in Psalm 11 and verse 3, what will the righteous do? Those who are righteous positionally. But when they get moved experientially, oh boy, how we think we need change. Did you know that if you're not satisfied where you are, if Christ isn't your all where you are, it's not going to change when you go somewhere else. It's not going to change at all. I want to make that crystal clear this morning. Because that foundation stands sure. Why? Because the Lord knows them that are his. 
and let every one that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity, a will that hasn't been submitted to known truth and to light. And when I refuse that light, then darkness comes upon me. And if the light that be in me now is turned into darkness, in Matthew 6 and verse 23, how great is that darkness? You know, when Christians don't function in truth, things that they knew, things that they were taught for decades, for decades, and now they want to become your counselor. You know, it's very interesting to me in the word of God. You know, in, in, in 1 Peter 5, 5, it says, always true, you younger, submit yourself to the elder. Always. Always that way. It's never reversed. It's never. Now, it flows beautifully with that submission, but it's never reversed. You younger, submit yourselves to the elder, and thus you're clothed with humility. You're clothed with humility. We don't make our own choices. You know, when we don't have the light of the word of God, then darkness comes in and we make our own choices. And then we think we're in control of everything. None of us in Matthew 6 and verse 24, none of us are masters of ourselves. None of us. That's why we need a local assembly. A specific one where we're taught things very clearly and very precisely in the word of God. And so when you know, when you know that the Lord knows you, then you, when you name the name of Christ, the name of Christ has to do with his person and the work that he's accomplished and working in you in Philippians 2.12 and verse 13, then you depart from iniquity, the unsubmission of your will. The unsubmission of your will. Now here's where we're going to get to. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. That great house, okay, is what some would call Christianity. In a great house, in a great house, there are vessels of gold and silver. Gold has to do, again, with the name of Christ, the deity of who he is, expressed to us in his humanity. And silver, buying us back through a submitted will from all iniquity. From all iniquity. Being affected by the enemy, Satan, in Ezekiel 28 and verse 15. The Father in John 8 verse 44 of all lies. So that we're no longer fathered by Satan. Lies. Feelings. I need to go somewhere so I can get built up because I might be thinking I'm missing something. No, you're not. No, you're not. God may call us to, to places at certain times, but there's very specific reasons and very specific purpose in it. Very specifically. Like the times that God has had me to go to Texas, those times have been for a very specific purpose very specifically to go there and to, and to to do that to do what he would have uh, me to do as i hear him in grace and truth but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver but also of wood and earth and some to honor and some to dishonor 
If a man therefore purge himself from these, he will be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet, qualified now for the master's use for Christ and prepared now unto every good work. But it's necessary, and I can't say this enough, especially for young people. You need young people. Go to the godly men. You'll see this in Jeremiah 6 and verse 6. You will see this in Proverbs 13 and verse 20. Because when you go to the godly men, you don't entangle yourself with them in Proverbs 24 and verse 21 that are given to change. Private conversations, private plans, private thoughts. Very interesting. Need to purge yourselves. Flee also youthful lusts. They hide a lot of times in many of us, but in young people especially. Flee youthful lust through and there's ignorance. And youthful lust can hide in ignorance, but then they can be outright through a lack of disobedience in 1 Samuel 15, 22, and come out in rebellion and in stubbornness. Young people thinking they know what they need to do. I don't see a time in the scriptures, I don't see a time where Jesus' disciples were not his continual disciples, his pupils, his mathetes, his learners. I don't see it. I see Titus as a man, a Greek, that Paul won and taught him the scriptures, and he, he became mature so that he could even fellowship in a way with the Apostle Paul or others couldn't because of grace and maturity and truth. But he never replaced him. Never did. Because he was always the younger. Not just in terms of years, but in terms of by the grace of God Almighty, the truth and maturity of the Word of God and the clarity of it too. And that's 1 Peter 5, 5. Also, it's 1 Timothy 5 and verse 6. You don't rebuke an elder. Not mentally, not emotionally, not verbally, not familiarly. Not in any sense of familiarity either, by the way. Because that can be a rebuke, even though it may be ignorant. Flee also, also youthful lust, but follow righteousness. Faith, love, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart, but foolish. Oh boy, foolish, foolish. You will see this in Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Read those first four verses and read Proverbs 18, 1 and 2. And read these verses and read Proverbs 14 and verse 9. And we'll see what it means to be foolish and how you can, you when you get away from Christ, then you get with foolish ones. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strife. But the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all, apt. Apt here means highly skillful in the word of God. Highly skillful in the word of God, apt to teach, patient, meaning, oh, 
what you have to endure, <laughs> what you have to endure, and you can only endure properly by being near Christ, what you have to endure when it comes to teaching others over a process of years, even decades, decades. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Oh, what it takes. <laughs> it takes tremendous meekness and humility. When those that oppose what you teach, when somehow they know enough to be your counselor, <laughs> somehow they know enough now, after you've taught them for years, now they can be your counselor. They think they know and, and can experience the word with you on an equal plane. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Because in opposing you, and thinking that they're opposing you, they're just opposing themselves is what they're doing. They oppose themselves if God peradventure will give them, give them repentance. How does he give repentance? How does he give an about face? How does he give a complete change? How does metanoia happen? How does that happen? How does he give that? Who does God give grace to? When you actually know the truth, but you don't submit to it. Who does he give grace to? The humble. Now you make the adjustment. Now you make the adjustment. Wow, very interesting this morning. Well, give them a complete change of mind so that they can now acknowledge the truth. That they may recover themselves. That they may take themselves out from being taken captive alive in their experience by Satan, the devil, who are taken alive Meaning they're alive in Christ, but they're captured now in their experience by him at his will and not God's will. Satan's will and not God's. Well, you know the thing that God is constantly teaching us, all of us, and he's teaching babes. And some, they're young people, they think, they think that they now are mature when they're babes still. <laughs> They've never been proven. You know, truth is not ours properly experientially until it's tested, until it's proven. And that takes a trial in 1 Peter 1, 7. It takes a trial in Job 23 and verse 10. It takes a trial. That's what it takes. He's constantly teaching us dependence because you and I will never experience true happiness, true joy, in the work that God is doing in us, or whatever work he calls us to do, if we're not constantly dependent, listen to me, where we are located. Very constantly dependent. And that is the secret of a work that can only be wrought with God. The secret. What is the secret of the Lord here when it says secret? Well, that's Psalm 25 and verse 14. The secret of the Lord is, is what? With them that reverence him. Reverencing Christ. 
and reverencing Christ in the vessels. Those that God has used to give us the word, all of us together. Reverencing then, in then reverencing taught with that to reverence one another in Ephesians 5 and verse 21. That's the secret. And he will show them his truth. To the Jews, it was his covenant. He will show them the truth about who Christ is in us and who we are in him. And it's a work that's wrought by God. It is a work that's wrought. And it, and it means with him. Now, we are with him positionally. But how am I with him experientially? The word with makes me go back to John 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, the word and the word with God, meaning with there was in this relationship, this eternal embrace, this eternal affectionate embrace that nothing could disturb or distract. They were constantly with one another. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit proceeding from both. And for us, the secret that we need to have is a submitted will through constant dependence so that God can work in us and through us what he's already worked out about us. This brings in the truth of Philippians 2, 12 and 13. See, the word of God is very important. It's very, very important. Work out your own salvation, your whole Christian life, with a reverence and a trembling. For it is God which works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Then you do all things, in 2.14 of Philippians, without murmuring, these thought, it's a thought life, mm -hmm. it's a thought. and disputing, vocalizing it, vocalizing it. It's a work that he's done. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie. Nor the son of man that he should ever change his mind. Has he not said? Will he not do it? Has he not spoken? And will it not come to pass? Has he beheld iniquity in Jacob or transgressions? No. No, the shout of a king is with him. With. With him. You see that word with? Finally, when we look at it and experience it, we experience Christ in our vessel, we can say, oh, what has God wrought? What has he accomplished for us in Christ? We are to study the word, by the way, in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. First and, first, first and foremost, that was taught, that was an apostle teaching a young pastor he needs to study to show himself approved unto God. Not try and tell it to someone else. It takes a number of years, a number of years for those things to be worked in so that you can prove, so that God can prove himself to you as an individual. And there is, there's plenty that are in the depths of God's word. You see that in Romans 11, 33 and 34. Yeah, there are depths of it in Psalm 42 and verse 7. There's depths in the word of God. But we always are to search it out. All of us are to search it out with his grace. Christ. And with his spirit, the Holy Spirit.
And then he makes it plain for us. And then he makes it, he brings us to the top when we're humble. Then we look from the top in Song of Solomon 4 and verse 8. We look from the top. It's very interesting. Did you know that we don't know anything until, until it comes down to us? Did we know that? That's why Jesus said in John 3 and verse 27, Can a man receive anything except it come from heaven, from above? You'll see this in Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter. In verses 11 to 14, we could not go up. He had to come down. And that's why in John 3.30, he must increase. But I must continually decrease and learn constant dependence and to be thankful for the word that God has given us. The most important thing about us, the treasure of the word, and if you want to save up, you really want to save up, save up the treasure of the word and be thankful for those, for Christ and those vessels that he's given, that he can pour himself out through them with, with absolute grace and unconditional love through them, in them and through them and to you. That's your treasure. And when it comes from the top, when it comes from the top, and that's why it even says in, 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 in Ephesians 4 and verse 9, he first had to descend. He had to come from the top down to us. And this is meeting us in, in humility and in the darkness and ruin of our lives and to give us the word experientially so he can bring us back up to the top again. But in every case, he does the bringing in John 21 and verse 18. He brings us to a place we wouldn't even think of going to. You ever notice the cream is always on the top? You ever notice that? Cream is always on the top. And again, it's always on the surface. Not that we're not to study and to search it out. But, but that, when we get it from God... In absolute humility. When we get it from God, I, I just, it's amazing to me in my relationship, my own relationship with God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, and my relationship with others, even those that are closest to me. And this is what makes it so important to be careful how we build someone up. Because then they can take it and then become something. And don't think they need to constantly receive anymore. Because now God's doing a great work in them in a, in a particular place. And God is lifting them up and doing a great. And then, boom, the next time you get a call. I need help. I need counsel. I need to be built up and edified. That's because we get away from Christ. And when we do, we get away from thinking we need others. We get away from it. It's very plain. God makes things very, very plain. When we get it from God and we don't get it until we're humble. And I want to make this clear again. Meekness always means who I am when I'm all alone with God. Humility is what I am like 
in God's presence around other people. That's humility. Only then, when we get it from God in a place of humility, does grace come in and then become, in Titus 2, and verse 11 and 12, teaching us to deny all ungodliness. For the grace of God has appeared, this is Titus 2, 11, the grace of God has appeared unto all men, and it teaches us to deny all ungodliness and how to live soberly and righteously in this present evil world system, in the midst of disorder, when it's swirling all around. Just because God uses you and blesses you and, 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 and gives you something, doesn't mean that you don't have to continually submit and be dependent where you get your source from the word and teaching. Source is God, but he doesn't separate himself from the vessel that he uses. Yes, and he does use us with each other. And we all are a joint that supplies. But some are babes and they're supplied. Some are young men and they're supplies. And some are spiritual dads in their supply, too. We have to wait. We have to wait in humility. We have to wait in humility until he teaches us. Wait on the Lord and be of good courage in Psalm 27 and verse 14. Wait on him and trust him in Psalm 31 and verse 24. Wait on him. Haven't you heard in Isaiah 40, 28? All you, he never gets tired. The Lord, he never gets weary. But he strengthened. They that wait upon the Lord in humility, they renew their strength. They mount up with wings as eagles. They run and they're not weary. They walk and they don't faint. They don't. We need to wait. In Psalm 37, verse 7, wait on the Lord and hope in him and don't fret yourself because of evil. Don't, all of us. You and I, here we are in Christianity, here we are in Christ. We have to expect that in a great house, in a great house, was Judas a part of the house? Was he near to Jesus? Was he? Was he in the great house in that sense? Yeah. We must expect in a great house all kinds of vessels. But we need to know and be taught. And until we're taught precisely in the word of God, we won't make the difference and don't separate the precious from the vile. The precious from the vile. That's brought out in, in Jeremiah 15 and verse 19, if you wanted to know where that's located. You have to consume the word. In Jeremiah 15 and verse 16, you have to taste in Psalm 38, 34 and verse 8 and see that the Lord is good. Then, 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 and it says this, and I do want to make this crystal clear in the scriptures. I want to make this very clear, especially for us here in this particular local assembly. 
This I want to make very, very crystal clear. I want to make it clear here. This is Jeremiah 15 and verse 16. Your words were found, and I did eat them. And your word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, my whole mind, and emotions. For I am called by your name. Of course, for us, that name is Christ and his work that he's accomplished. O Lord God of hosts. Now, here we go. This is why it's very important who you're with and the time that you give others. You have to be very careful and very selective about who you give your time to and who you're going to be with. Here it is. I sat not in the assembly of the mockers, nor rejoiced. I sat alone because of your hand. Did you see that? God's hand, his grace, will cause us to be alone with him. You see this? For you have filled me with indignation. Verse 18. Has this ever been your question? Why is my pain perpetual? Do you and I think we'd learn any other way without it? You think we would? No way. Why is my pain perpetual and my wound seems to be incurable? Which refuses to be healed. Why, Lord? Will you be altogether unto me as a liar and as, as, as waters? that fail are not sure, the waters of your word are not going to be sure anymore? Here we go. I want us to listen to this. Jeremiah 15, verse 19. I just read 16, 17, and 18. Here's 19. Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, come back to him, to the truth that he's manifested to you, where he manifested it to you, where you got the greater degree of understanding through the word. Then will I bring you again, and you will stand before me. And if you will take the, forth the precious from the vile, separating the two. Many times you have to be separate, even from loved ones. Even if they're Christians, you need to be separate from them. They will cause you to spend money when you shouldn't. You won't only hurt yourself, you'll hurt others. Two, by the way. You need to take the precious from the vile, and you can't do that without preaching and teaching. You will be as my mouth. Now, here's where I want us to see. Let them return unto you, but return you not unto them. You see that? Return not unto them. Because in a great house there are all kinds of vessels. Many unto honor and many unto dishonor. Many unto honor and many unto dishonor. And so here we are, here this morning. Boy, I tell you. How precious is the word of God? And how vile is anything else in place of it? For any of us. For any, any single one of us. How precious is the word this morning? Well, in 2 Timothy 3, 1, this also know in the last days, perilous, stressful, hard times, very difficult things 
will come to deal with. Why? Because men will be lovers of their own selves, their own plans, their own secondary plans. You can have them. They're lovers of their own selves because they're covetous. Hmm. That makes me think of Exodus 20 and verse 17. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, spiritual ones. Disobedient to parents. Why? I'm thankful. Why? Now unholy in behavior. Then they become without even natural affection. Then they become truce breakers. And then they become false accusers, <laughs> blaming you for everything. Incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded. Why? Why all this? Because they're lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. If I'm going to a place, I'm not going there for pleasure. For a good time or a thrill. It's going to be about the word and fellowship. Period. I don't need an emotional thrill. I don't need to go somewhere to have that. I can have the word right here, right now. I can have all of him right now, and so can you. Have lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Don't see him anymore, do you? Stop hearing from him here. They go somewhere else. Still not hearing from him there either. Why? Lovers of pleasures. More than lovers of God. And they have a form of godliness. But they deny the power thereof. Who's the power? They deny Christ. Who is the power in 1 Corinthians 1.24? And they no longer are kept experientially by that power in 1 Peter 1 and verse 5. And then they function in a spirit of fear, but not power and love and a well-disciplined mind in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7. And so what do they do then? Having a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. Listen, from such, turn away. <laughs> from such, Turn away. They need to be alone so God can deal with them. Because of this sort are they that begin to creep into houses. Oh boy, I'm telling you. They, get, they want to creep into a house. Boy, I hate to tell you. Back in mommy's house. They creep into houses. And lead captive, silly women. Women that don't have proper headship. Women that don't have proper preaching and teaching in their own homes. They don't have it. They refuse to go where they could get it. There are multitudes, I know. There are multitudes in Texas. And I know where they should go, and I know where they can go and get fed. But they don't go. These women are laden with sins. Led away with all many, many kinds of all kinds of lusts. And then the enemy will, will tell you how you should deal with those lusts. 
Some have said it's different now. <laughs> oh, boy. Ever learning. Always trying to learn, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Why? Now, as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses. Who was Moses? He was a leader that God raised up to teach them. It's the truth. Was Moses perfect? He was in Christ, but was he a chosen vessel? He was. It is. So these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate, reprobate failures, not passing the test concerning all the truth that they had. All the truth that they had, but thank God. This is where we are in the midst of Christendom right now. This is Christendom. And when I don't go forward with Jesus Christ, where he's called me, then I just go back. I enter into Christendom. All this false teaching now has its effect on me when I say I know better, but it still does. And I become a vessel to dishonor. I'm Christ, but I can be a vessel to dishonor by going back. You know, in John 6, 63, it made it very clear. When Jesus taught the cross, you see, they loved the miracles. They loved hearing the beautiful truths about Christ. But when it came to Christ teaching the cross and what it would do to cut off individuals from functioning in ways, in old ways that they were, they went back and they walked no more with him. It's interesting that that is chapter 6. Verse 66 of John. They went back. His disciples, many of his disciples, went back. And they walked no more with him. It's very interesting in the scriptures. They went back. And then they entered into unholiness and became a vessel to dishonor. And all kinds of other Doctrines of demons. You know, when we're not filled up with Christ, you know, man is a vacuum. Did you know that? Where we suck in. When in years past, we sucked in all this wrong stuff from the enemy. All this bad teaching, maybe no teaching, or false teaching or evil. We sucked it in because we weren't filled with Christ. And we need to be filled up with Christ so the enemy doesn't have a place in our experience. That's what makes the Word of God. So beautifully abundant and such a beautiful supply. Then it gives us, only then does it give us spiritual discernment. And that discernment comes from the preaching and teaching of the word. You'll see this in Romans chapter 10 and verse 15 to 17. Faith comes by hearing. The message literally says hearing by the message the teaching of the doctrine that's taught. That's Romans 10 and verse 17. It says, how will they hear without a preacher? It's a specific man that God raises up to bring in the clarity of the word of God in its preciseness. You don't just hear little things once in a while, and it's good to hear, but you don't hear just one thing in a while that get, oh, that's great. But you have a continual, continual preaching and teaching of the word of God, to have spiritual discernment according to the word of God so that you can discern what is of God and what is it. And then 
in that, you purge them in yourself. And you know what? As we close this morning, the word, the Lord, through his word, through our submission to it, he keeps us humble. And when we we are kept humble, we keep near to him. And we all need the yoke, especially babes and young men and women. Young babes and young men. Listen, listen, babes. I want us to understand this, even with teaching our children. I'm going to tell you again where this comes from. You do not need an outside influence. It has a form of godliness, form of being right. I don't think it's right. The babes become young men because they have a spiritual dad. So the teaching and preaching comes down from the spiritual fathers into the young men that they can give to their babes. Do you see how this works? And he keeps us humble and near ourselves. If I think that I need to go somewhere, somewhere else, other than where God has called me, if I think I need to go there, to go there so that I can feel better and get better, then it's a feeling and even the start of it is wrong. Even the very start of it is wrong. But if you're sent, and this is what makes it very necessary, very necessary to be sent, not just to go somewhere, just to go, but to be sent. Because if that's the case, then God's going to do a great work in you, first and foremost, and then he can do a great work in others. And when that happens in both, those that are sent to those that are there, and he's done that great work, now you have fellowship. But the likeness is Christ in the vessel, and not the vessel without Christ. And this, in this way, in fellowship, this keeps us very near Jesus Christ, keeps us very near to constant, humble, humble discipline and obedience to his will, so that his love, the only thing that protects us is his love. It's the only thing that does it. And Father, we thank you for the beauty and preciousness of your love this morning. And thank you that we are all to function in our proper place. Babes function in their place as babes. Young men function as young men in their place, and spiritual dads function in their place, in their proper place. Father, thank you for the beauty and preciousness of your word, how powerful it is. Father, thank you in Jesus' holy and precious name, and thank you for the holy, pure, precious treasure that the word of God is and the counsel that comes from it in Jesus' name, amen.